X-28, number 5A. Eve's answer, on the other hand, demonstrates the realization that sin is neither personal nor from God. She does not blame God or any person for the sin, but says, The serpent beguiled me. Genesis 3:11-13. The serpent symbolizes mortal consciousness. Eve thereby becomes the first of the great women of the Bible, through her understanding of the impersonality of evil, she was able to bring forth Seth, her third son, which marks the first step on the way to redemption. For of him we read that in his time men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Genesis 4:26. Not until we understand that evil sin or mortal mind is not personal and therefore does not belong to us, can we free ourselves from it? Sickness is not our sickness. Pain is not our pain. Sickness and pain are beliefs of mortal mind. Evil has no reality. It is neither person, place, nor thing, but is simply a belief, an illusion of material sense. 712. If evil, sin, is not a person, then our primary duty is not to punish persons for sin, but to give up sinful beliefs. In any case, evil always punishes itself. From the beginning it bears within itself the seed of self-destruction. As soon as we no longer identify ourselves with evil, realizing that it does not belong to us but only to mortal mind, then we can also free ourselves from the consequences of evil, from the punishment it brings with it. This is what Jesus did at the raising of Lazarus, for example. He removed the consequences of sickness, death, and brought Lazarus to life. But of Lazarus' sickness, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. John 11, 4 Even when evil has temporarily enslaved us, we can always reverse the situation so that it does not destroy us, but serves the glory of God and must glorify the Son of God, our true Christ-like being. Such a completely new turn as this was not only possible to Jesus, it happens whenever we awake to the knowledge that evil has nothing to do with us personally, and that therefore it cannot destroy us, but only itself. Because of this we should never judge others, Jesus' teachings, Judge not that ye be not judged, Matthew 7, 1, is not only a good ethical rule, but it states a fundamental metaphysical fact. This is clearly illustrated in the story of Noah and his sons. Noah was drunk, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, 
saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. Thus Ham judged his father and spread the evil. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. Unlike Ham, they made evil impersonal by not attaching it to their father personally. Thus they turned away from the sight of their father's nakedness. For this reason, Ham was cursed, but Shem and Japheth were blessed. Genesis 9:21-27. The self-righteous make both evil and good personal. Evil they attribute to others, good to themselves. In so doing, they obstruct their way to reality, where good comes from divine consciousness and evil from its counterfeit, from mortal consciousness. The publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you, said Jesus to the self-righteous Pharisees, Matthew 21:31. He who judges others judges himself. In ascribing evil to persons instead of to mortal mind, he includes himself in the evil with the others, because he too is a person, and consequently he, like them, is subject to the self-destruction of evil. But truth's aim is never the destruction of a sinner, only the annihilation of sin. 5. In mortal consciousness, the greater controls the lesser. In mortal consciousness, there is an accumulation of individual, collective, universal, conscious and unconscious beliefs, partly complementing each other, but partly contradicting each other. In any situation, the particular fear of one individual may be quite different from that, for example, of any other member of his own group. Questions then arise as to which beliefs dominate and whether there is a kind of hierarchy of beliefs in mortal consciousness. Majority beliefs govern minority beliefs. Universal beliefs take precedence over collective beliefs, and universal and collective beliefs dominate individual beliefs. This holds good in the positive as well as in the negative sense. Thus, a group's collective fear of an epidemic, for example, can overrule an individual's belief that it will not harm him so that although the individual may not have thought of the disease or known anything about it, he nevertheless becomes ill because his individual belief in his healthy constitution is less powerful than the collective belief that everyone could fall a victim to the disease. But naturally, the contrary holds good, too. Although the patient is perhaps skeptical about a drug and has no faith in its curative effect, yet in spite of this it can cure him because the general confidence in its efficacy is very strong.
When the sick recover by the use of drugs, it is the law of a general belief, culminating in individual faith, which heals. And according to this faith will the effect be. 155.3 Even when you take away the individual confidence in the drug, you have not yet divorced the drug from the general faith. The chemist, the botanist, the druggist, the doctor, and the nurse equip the medicine with their faith and the beliefs which are in the majority rule, 155.6. The stronger beliefs govern the weaker. When we consider different beliefs within the same range, as for instance, individual beliefs of various kinds, we soon recognize that the stronger beliefs always govern the weaker. For example, the doctor's belief is usually stronger than the patient's and thus determines the course of the illness. Medicine itself is aware of the powerful effect the doctor's reaction can have on the sick. An encouraging word, a favorable remark from the doctor, contributes more to the recovery than the medicine he administers. In the same way, the beliefs of parents fix their imprint on those of their children. Babies are especially susceptible to the beliefs of their parents, whose anxieties and fears can in many cases also affect the physical condition of their children. A typical example of the control exercised by a stronger individual belief over a weaker one is to be found in hypnotism. No hypnotist can succeed if his patient confronts him with a particularly powerful mentality or a deep religious conviction. If he succeeds in hypnotizing the others, he employs one error to destroy another. If he heals sickness through a belief, and a belief originally caused the sickness, it is a case of the greater error overcoming the lesser. This greater error thereafter occupies the ground, leaving the case worse than before it was grasped by the stronger error. 104.23 The various methods of auto-suggestion also work on the same principle. In these, the weaker beliefs in one's own consciousness are held in check by constant repetition of the suggestion that one's health is improving until this becomes the stronger belief and finally governs the case. In the realm of belief, good beliefs do not subdue evil ones, but as we find by experience, the stronger overcome the weaker regardless of whether they are good or bad. This explains why people who do not obey any moral code are frequently more successful and healthy than the morally good. Because they think exclusively and unashamedly of themselves and have no scruples of conscience, they do not live in a state of inner contradictions. They do not suffer from perpetual feelings of guilt and are free from psychological conflicts. 
Their mistaken conviction that they have the right to do as they please is stronger than their moral fear of punishment for their sins. The stronger belief overcomes the weaker, and with the stronger belief prevailing, evil takes control. But what they do not realize is that in spite of being humanly healthy and successful, they are failing in their mission as man. At some time, they will be forced by the Christ power to conform to the divine plan, as we have seen in the section concerning the irresistible power of the Christ, page 50. Faith Healing that the stronger beliefs in every case govern the weaker, we can also see from the various forms of faith healing, which have been practiced to a greater or lesser degree in every age, and always been looked upon as inexplicable miracles. But these, too, rest on the easily understood principle of the stronger controlling the weaker, a stronger belief in the healing power of God gradually overcomes a weakening fear of the destructive power of disease. Here then success does not depend on what the patient believes in, but rather on how unshakably strong his religious faith is. His blind but unwavering faith in God or in a particular person's mystic healing powers, may so outweigh the belief that he is ill that the healing actually comes about. In such a case, it is not so much the content of belief as the intensity of confidence which determines success. This is so not only in the realm of religious or metaphysical faith healing, but also and far more commonly than one would suppose, in the field of medicine. Faith in medicine and in the doctor. As doctors are aware, in every treatment, hope and also faith and confidence in the doctor play a major or minor part. This faith plays an important part in the healing work and is used deliberately and psychosomatic treatment. There is now a growing conviction that it is not so much the prescribed drug as the patient's expectation which affects improvement in his condition. Tests made with placebos confirm this opinion. Placebos are mock medicines, resembling the real thing in appearance, form, color, taste, and consistency, but containing no medicinal ingredients. A series of prolonged tests demonstrated that placebos produce effects which can lead to, sub to a subjective improvement of the disease condition. Even homeopathy, which has some very good successes, cannot give a convincing explanation as to how a drug reduced to such extreme attenuations can still have any effect. Hence, orthodox medicine's criticism that homeopathic cures have nothing to do with the remedies they use. Mary Baker Eddy was familiar with these methods from personal experience.
Homeopathic remedies, sometimes not containing a particle of medicine, are known to relieve the symptoms of disease. What produces the change? It is the faith of the doctor and the patient, which reduces self-inflicted sufferings and produces a new effect upon the body. 398.16 The patient who has faith in God has this in common with the one who believes in his doctor, that he too relinquishes his own doubts and fears for a growing belief that he can be cured. In faith healing, it does not matter what the patient believes in, whether it is his doctor, some new preparation, or the omnipotence of God. For it is, in any case, his increasing faith which heals him, and any belief which can overcome his fear will help. There is, however, a fundamental difference between the patient who puts his trust in the doctor and the one who relies on God. In the first case, the weaker belief in sickness is dominated by another, stronger, material belief. But in the second case, the weaker belief in sickness is replaced by a belief in truth. Belief in truth is the first step. Looking at these faith healings from a Christian science point of view, it is certainly better to be healed by a blind, unquestioning faith in a truth than by a strong faith and erroneous belief in material means or in a person. In many cases, belief in material means or a person may in fact be stronger than the specific belief in sickness, and because of that it will prove helpful but there is also great danger in it. The patient has thereby only subscribed to a greater belief. He is therefore not by any means healed, but only governed by a stronger belief, which may be useful as far as the disease is concerned, but can do more harm in other ways than the disease itself. In this it is like medicine and the fact that every effective medicine has its side effects is indeed widely accepted in the medical profession. This does not apply, however, to a belief in truth. This belief does the patient no harm and may be regarded as his first step towards an understanding of truth. Moses was already aware of this when he tried to transform the children of Israel's unbelief into a belief in the healing power of God. He gave them a sign. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Numbers 21, 9. Jesus also often told those he had healed that their faith had made them whole. In the long term, a belief in truth is not enough. For many, it is easier to believe in an inscrutable God with his incomprehensible healing power 
than to understand this God and the way in which he operates. Because of this, healings through a blind faith in God are sometimes obtained very much more quickly than those which come about through a scientific understanding of God. Since the patient's first concern in a majority of cases is to be healed, he often attaches too much importance to a quick result, regarding this as proof of the greater efficacy of faith or as a sign that blind faith is the better method. But this wholly uplifting faith, 109.19, becomes in the long run unsatisfying. Why? True, with this type of faith one turns to truth and not to matter, but one merely believes in it. One does not understand it. And every belief can be driven out by a stronger belief. Even a belief in truth may lose its effect as soon as an even stronger belief in disease takes over. This is why there is sometimes a quick healing through a belief in truth, but in more cases no healing takes place. Mary Baker Eddy realized that there is danger in this mental state called belief, and she warns that if truth is admitted but not understood, it may be lost, and error may enter through this same channel of ignorant belief. The faith cure has devout followers whose Christian practice is far in advance of their theory. See Mary Baker Eddy's article, Faith Cure, in Retrospection and Introspection, pages 54 to 55. Also, Mary Baker Eddy's article, Principle and Practice, reprinted in Why Study Christian Science as a Science by Max Kapler, pages 29 to 30. Scientific understanding governs all beliefs. This brings us to a crucial question. Is there something stronger than all beliefs? Is there something superior to the strongest, individual, and collective, conscious and unconscious, even universal beliefs? God is the greatest and strongest, and one with God is a majority, and therefore always superior. A scientific understanding of God has control over all beliefs. It can hold in check the entire mortal consciousness with all its manifestations. It is a universally accepted fact that science is superior to any belief. Even if thousands were convinced that two and two made five, a single individual understanding the rules of arithmetic would arrive at the right answer with the knowledge that two and two make four, irrespective of the strength of the false belief or the number who shared it. The most effective antidote we can employ against every sort of belief is the understanding of truth. Six, mortal consciousness is the counterfeit of divine mind. We have seen what kind of beliefs constitute mortal consciousness, 
and have come to the realization that an understanding of truth can wipe out these beliefs. From the standpoint of understanding, therefore, there is no truth, no real substance in this mortal consciousness. It is nothing in itself, but merely the counterfeit of that which exists in reality. Mortal consciousness is only the sum total of ignorance about the true nature of being. It is a distorted image of mind, spirit, soul, principle, life, truth, and love, derived from ignorance. The phenomena of mortal consciousness, namely sin, sickness, death, and every form of discord, are equally unreal. To the physical senses, it is true, these phenomena appear just as actual and real as an incorrect sum written up on a blackboard for all to see. Yet, both the products of mortal consciousness and the incorrect sum are unreal, for their actuality is attested only by those physical senses and that ignorance which in their turn originate in mortal consciousness and are incapable of testifying to what is true just as the calculation that twice two equals five does not exist in arithmetic, so sin, disease, and death do not exist in the science of being. 7. Mortal consciousness is nothing. We have seen on the one hand what mortal consciousness appears to be, and on the other hand what it really is, when looked at from the standpoint of understanding, namely, nothing. The apparent absence of that which really is. As soon as we recognize, through our understanding of what is real, that mortal consciousness with all its erroneous manifestations is nothing, it can never again appear to us to be anything else. Hence, as scientists, we turn to the true nature of being and realize that, as the opposite of mind, mortal beliefs have no intelligence, creative power, cause, nor effect. As the opposite of spirit, mortal beliefs have no substance, no reality. They are incapable of development and therefore cannot bear fruit. As the opposite of soul, mortal beliefs can bear no witness to true being. As the opposite of principle, mortal beliefs have no system, are based on no real authority, and can never lead to harmony. As the opposite of life, mortal beliefs can bring into being no indestructible phenomena, and have thus no permanent existence. As the opposite of truth, mortal beliefs contain no element of truth, are always contradictory and self-destructive. As the opposite of love, mortal beliefs have no plan and can therefore never fulfill themselves. This also answers the age-old question, where does evil come from if God created only good and he is all? This question is always asked from the standpoint of material sense deluded by mortal consciousness 
into regarding evil as real. No satisfactory answer can ever be given to this question by human thought which is fettered by error. It can be answered only by an understanding of truth for which the of evil does not arise because it does not exist. Similarly, the question where two and two make five comes from can only be answered rightly by someone with certain knowledge that two and two make four. And the answer of those with understanding in arithmetic as in Christian science is always the same, namely this, the lie, the untruth comes from nowhere for it does not exist. It arises only as the misconception of those deceived by ignorance. To these, however, one cannot give the right answer by trying to explain the unreal which they regard as real. It is better to explain to them what is actually true and real. Then the illusion vanishes of its own accord, and the question is no longer asked. Divine Understanding Mortal Consciousness Human Consciousness Divine Consciousness There are three fundamentally distinct types of consciousness, the mortal, the human, and the divine. We have described mortal consciousness with all its beliefs as that consciousness which is imprinted with ignorance of the true nature of being, hence a consciousness which contains only illusions. Divine consciousness, in contrast, knows only divine ideas. It is that consciousness which knows everything about the true nature of being. Human consciousness stands somewhere in between. It is partly governed by the beliefs which arise from mortal consciousness, and yet it partakes to a greater or lesser degree of those ideas which belong to divine consciousness. Human thoughts have their degrees of comparison. 297.24 In proportion as human consciousness turns away from mortal consciousness and its beliefs, and accepts the ideas of divine consciousness, it is transformed and becomes more and more like the divine mind. When the last vestige of mortal belief yields to the divine and disappears, then that stage is reached which Jesus demonstrated by his ascension. He attained the perfect divine consciousness.